pointers for continual practice. Although I've been saying so often that this practice of open awareness is oriented to daily life and you can do it anywhere, anytime, as long as you remember and you have a desire to do so. But it is still good to establish a regular formal practice. On the one extreme, people tend to just regard meditation as formal sitting. And the other extreme is that people don't need to see at all. You can just practice mindfulness anytime. But actually, they complement one another. Both should be established. It depends on how much time you have. If you have one hour, that's best. If not, half an hour. If not, 20 minutes. If not, 15 minutes. As much time as you can get, it's good to just settle down and sit for a while. Now, if you are using public transport, then you will have to sit for a long time anyway. No excuse. You can practice open awareness. And you won't look like you are a weirdo because you don't close your eyes. If you try to practice focused awareness, closing your eyes when you're using public transport, you're going to miss your stop. So you do it open eyes and people won't think you're weird. And you can also process what's going on in your mind. Look at how the mind reacts or responds to all this sense stimuli that you are bombarded with when you are in the public transport. And during formal practice, you could start off with focused awareness, if you have done focused awareness before. Or you could do the sort of focused awareness that we have been doing here, Arahang or Sukino. And then after that, before you end, it's better to go on to open awareness so that you will have the momentum to continue for the rest of the day to practice in your daily life. And also you need to have the self-discipline to try to practice when you are on idle mode. When you have enough sati sabajanya, enough mindfulness and clear awareness, you will be able to catch all those urges and intentions and initial thoughts that arise in your mind. So remember to apply the bar test and bet and tip me. And as I said earlier, if they don't pass most of our initial thoughts, urges, and planning, and ideas, don't even pass the B. You don't need to go on to A or R. But you can jump straight to the last R. And look at it in terms of nicca, dukkha, nata, impermanent, suffering, not-self, product of cause and conditioning. More importantly, I would say that you should look at it in terms of cause and conditioning. Because that is really important if you can understand that all your thoughts, ideas, assumptions, perceptions, judgments, comments are products of causes and conditions, past conditioning particularly, then it's easy for you to accept yourself and accept other people. By looking at what happens to your mind, looking at what happens to the subject and how the subject is a product of causes and conditions and is changing all the time, then you don't have to have double suffering. Maybe you make a nasty comment or you're angry and then you don't judge yourself again for being angry or for having such a nasty comment. You save one more suffering by accepting that's a product of cause and condition. It's bad enough to be angry or to have this nasty comment It will even be worse if I judge myself for that. There's no one there. It's just a product of cause and condition. And main culprit, of course, is ignorance. 
not seeing things according to reality. But you have to cultivate this habit of looking back at your mind, applying the bar test, and going to the last R whenever you don't pass the first BAR. Actually, you have a lot of time. The moment you wake up in the morning, you wash up and you get ready to work, and then you sit in your LRT or MRT to get to work and go into your office, there's a few hours. And if you are disciplined and habituated your mind to always look back at what's happening, like what Sister Subi has just said, it becomes second nature to you. And it's very, very simple. You may think that the bar test is very complicated, but no. Usually it doesn't even pass the B, so you don't even go have to A or don't have to bother to go to A or R. From B, you go straight to the last R. And you can see cost and conditioning. From the moment you wake up, you wash up, you get ready to go to work, and then even when you are at work, there are times you have to go to the toilet. When you take a shower, if you're eating alone, these are times when you can actually practice cut down on unproductive thinking, make grist for the meal, make organic fertilizer, all of those things that you're going to trash, which don't pass the bar test. If you are using your own private transport, driving, for example, in Malaysia, the streets in Malaysia, in KL, are always getting jammed. So that's also a good time for you to practice open awareness. Look at your mind, the impatience, you could also have some CDs or download some of my talks to remind you to put that into practice. You could also use modern technology. Nowadays, everybody has a mobile device. You could speak into your device and then make a recording, set it in such a way that it reminds you every now and then, maybe a few minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or half an hour to remind yourself, what's am I doing? Are you mindful? Are you in the present? That's also one way of reminding yourself. Another way someone told me was that whenever she received a message or a call, that is a signal that she would not answer it immediately. She would look into the mind first to see what is the mind's reaction, to check the mind state to look at the desire to answer or the desire to want to look at the message. And you can also see how the mind works. Sometimes the message may come in, you hear the sound, the notification is there, but you are busy with something else. You don't have time to attend to it. So you can watch how the mind works and how the mind is able to prioritize its tasks. This also will have to do with the bar test. Another way you could do is if you are working on the computer most of the time, then you can install this software, which is a freeware. For Windows, it's called WorkRave. For Mac, it's Timeout. These are freewares that help to remind you to come to the present moment. You can also adjust the settings according to your needs, but it has a default setting where you will freeze your keyboard or freeze your screen. Then you cannot work for maybe, usually it's about a few seconds, maybe 12 or 20 seconds just to freeze you. That 20 seconds actually is good enough for you to be reminded to come back to the present moment, to check your mind state. 
These are the short breaks. It may occur maybe after every 15 minutes or half an hour or so, depending on how you want it to be. And sometimes after a few of these micro breaks, then you have a long break. Maybe after working at it for two hours, then you have a long break, 10 minutes break. They can't do anything. Go to the toilet or something like that. And one of my yogis said, this open awareness is a very good method because you open your eyes. So even if you are sitting in front of the computer, you're staring at the computer, but you're practicing open awareness. So your boss wouldn't know what you're doing. <laughs> so if you sit there and try to watch your breath, boss will say, what are you doing? How come you're not doing work? <laughs> so this is something which you can carry with you and do it anytime. Anytime you want to take a break, you just sit there in front of the computer and look there as though you're staring at the screen. Maintain an unfocused case. Another thing that you could do is to establish a group support because unless you have very good self-discipline, it's not easy to continue the practice on your own. Because when you go back to the world, you are enticed by so many pleasures of the senses. You uh, travel along the public road, got billboards everywhere. You look at the newspaper, you got advertisements everywhere. Even your mobile device or so will be bombarded by advertisements and things like that. And you are getting messages and emails and you're looking at Facebook. So you are bombarded with all these things. It's very easy to just get caught up in them. So it's good to have group support. One way is if you have a premises, then it's good to come together once a week or so to meditate together formally. If you're meditating alone, if you don't have enough self-discipline, you sit for just a while and then your mind becomes bored and it's, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and you get up. You don't even sit for five minutes, you're already doing other things. <laughs> I've got to answer this call, I've got to answer this email, I've got to do this, do that. But if you are with a group of people who are sitting, you feel pissy. Everybody is sitting, you just cannot get up and do your thing. <laughs> so you are forced to have some sort of discipline. If you cannot establish a physical group support in premises, then at least you could do something like a retreat chat group. I believe you all have something like that. Yeah, it's good to have a retreat chat group where you can inspire one another by your experiences in daily life. As I said, the bar test is very important. Many people who have been introduced to this bar test always say that it has helped them tremendously when they go back to the world. Because the bar test is so flexible. It can be applied in the worldly sense as well as the spiritual sense. And the wonderful thing is that even when you are in the world and you have trashed all those idle, unproductive thoughts, it can go straight down to the last hour and make use of that trash for your spiritual progress. Very, very useful. And we have to thank the commentaries for giving this suggestion on how to apply clear awareness because the suttas don't really tell us how to do it. This is from the commentary and I've just adapted it for usage in worldly and spiritual environments. I also forgot to say last night when we talked about the four Satipatthanas, about Dhammanupasana, I just talked about the hindrances and seven factors of enlightenment. But contemplating the five aggregates and contemplating the four noble truths are also part of Dhamma Nupasana, at least in the Majjhima Nikaya and the Diga Nikaya. 
Satipatthana Sutta and Mahasatipatthana Sutta, which I said last night is believed by many modern scholars to be a composite. In the Satipatthana Sangyutta, no details are given about the different exercises for the different establishments of mindfulness. But anyway, it is found in there. And there are also many other places in the Sangyutta Nikaya, in the Kanda Sangyutta, the connected discourses on the five aggregates, Nidana Sangyutta, the connected discourses with regard to causation, and then you have the Salayatana Sangyutta, the connected discourses about six sense spaces. All these also talk about looking at them in terms of Anicca Dukkanata. That's why this Satipatthana Sutta is a composite. They bring all these things and then they put it inside there. Contemplation of the Four Noble Truths is also found in the Satcha Sangyutta, the connected discourses about the truths. I shared yesterday the contemplation of the Four Noble Truths by experientially verifying them within the subject itself whenever you suffer can be very potent. I shared with you my personal experience and it is something very doable. All of us go to suffering, particularly when you are working in the world. You have to relate with people, you have jobs, and then you have all these targets to meet, a lot of stress. Look at that. Every time you suffer, ask yourself, why? You already know intellectually. You just need to verify that it is due to some sort of attachment, clinging, desire, craving. You do that again and again, and then one fine day, it will dawn upon you to cut down on your craving to reduce suffering. As I also said, all of us have our own patch attachments. You're not ready to renounce everything yet. Lay people, by definition, you are people who enjoy pleasures of the senses. If you have pet attachments, you have desires, you want to go window shopping, you want to go on a shopping spree, then apply the bar test. As long as you don't break your precepts, as long as you don't create havoc in your family by overspending, and you don't harm yourself in terms of health, then go ahead and pursue your pet attachments and desires. But do so with mindfulness and clear awareness. The Buddha himself said that when he was a Bodhisattva, he made use of this contemplation on sensual desires and sensual pleasures by looking at them in three ways. And only after he understood through personal experience the gratification of sense pleasures, the drawbacks of sense pleasures, and the escape from sense pleasures, that he managed to get awakened. And what does that mean? Which means to say, sense pleasures are gratifying. When you experience sense pleasures, you satiate your desire, then you should do so mindfully, understand, okay, this is the desire, and I pursue this desire, now I'm enjoying myself because I fulfill my desire. That is the gratification. Then what is the drawback? The drawback is the trouble you had to go through in order to get this pleasure of fulfilling your desire and to see how long it lasts. I dropped out of university after my third year because I lost interest in the world. But I still have this creative energy in me until now 
<laughs> so that's why I come up with a lot of nursery rhymes. <laughs> At that time, my interest was in music and in drama. I was also good in layout design. After I dropped out, one of my uni mates, he was my varsity volleyball captain. Some of you might know him. He's called Ki Tuan Chai. He's a contributor to Star or somewhere. He was in the School of Drama in USM. He was producing a kabuki play and he wanted to go from amateur, he wanted to go pro. He had been writing plays and directing plays already in the experimental studio in USM, but he wanted to go public. At that time, he got someone to sponsor him or one of his friends. And he wanted to employ me as a marketing and publicity manager. So I told him, I can't do marketing, but I can do publicity for you. And not only did I help out in the publicity, but I also helped out in the preparations for performance. I also acted in it. <laughs> I also acted in it. I also composed the music for that play, as well as choreography for some of the scenes. We had to practice for three over months, and then we only performed for three nights. <laughs> Sometimes we had to work until 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> all this practice and all this suffering we go through for just three nights of performance, and we made a loss. <laughs> that was really an uh, eye-opener for me. I did that all with mindfulness. And clear awareness, because at that time I was already practicing meditation. I was applying the Four Noble Truths in my daily life. So after that, I really gave up everything. No more drama, no more music. So much suffering for just a few moments. Even when I was playing my own music that I composed, I could see that the mind is actually always craving for the sensation, the feeling of listening to my own composition. The craving was so strong. It's a repeat, repeat, because you want to get the joy of listening to what you composed. This is when I have not really started to learn formal meditation, but I have already seen the suffering involved. I have already seen the gratification as well as the drawbacks of sense pleasures. The next step is very simple. What is the escape? Escape from sense pleasures is very simple. You already see the gratification, you see the drawbacks. So you discipline desire. Don't have desire, no desire, then you don't have all these problems. I learned to cut down. Whenever desire arises, you know, I will look at the whole process of fulfilling the desire and how so much suffering you're going through. So I learned to cut down my desire. This is very potent. If you are able to do Whatever interest you have, you can pursue whatever worldly interest you have, but do so with mindfulness and clear awareness, bearing in mind that you have to understand experientially the gratification, the drawbacks, and the escape with regard to sense pleasures. This is something which you can take back home and put in your practice in your daily life. Also, don't be in a hurry to get liberated, like Peter. Me too, not him only. I wanted to become in one month. 
after I decided that I wanted to renounce, at that time I was looking around for a place to renounce. I wanted to become a Zen monk. But I don't know Chinese, I don't know Japanese, I couldn't find any English-speaking Zen teacher in Malaysia at that time. Finally, somebody found that I was interested in meditation and then introduced me to MBMC. Introduced me to MBMC. That's when I started to begin formal meditation under Reverend Sujivo at that time. When I joined the MBMC, didn't really join it as a member officially because I was at that time also working as an art editor for one NGO that was in Penang. I had to travel from Plotikus to my workplace and uh, MBMC is along the way. That time I used to cycle or take my motorbike. On the way back, I would drop in and then meditate in the hall. By myself, because at first I didn't get any instructions. I read Masi Sayadaw's book on how to practice meditation. This is very close to Zen. It's like coming back to the present moment. It's just that it's very, very systematic. Whereas Zen just says, sit down and don't do anything. When you walk, just walk. When you sit, just sit. But how to do it? (laughs) No clear instructions are given. I was doing it on my own, and then one day somebody said that this Aaron Sujivo is going to give instructions, so I just sat in. That's how I started formal meditation there. At that time, I read the Satipatthana Sutta, and I said, I can become Anagami in seven days. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to do that. Try to sleep only four hours a day, and then practice full-time. I was doing eight precepts, preparing to become a monk at that time. Of course, it didn't happen. La. <laughs> so don't be in a hurry for liberation. Because it's all due to constant condition. You just have to keep on striving, keep on doing persistence. And eventually, when the causes and conditions are right, you will come. Don't be in a hurry. Just keep on walking the path. And when the causes and conditions are right, then the insight will arise. I always tell my yogis, don't worry about insight knowledges, don't worry about which level you're at, don't worry about magapala, don't worry about all these things, you just keep on practicing. The best marker of progress is to look back at yourself, at your defilements. Have your defilements decreased? Have you become a better person? Are you more accepting? and forgiving of others and yourself? Because when you really look into yourself and you understand that everything that happens within your mind is a product of causes and conditions, automatically you will become more compassionate, you have more loving kindness for others. Automatically you will be more forgiving and understanding. This is a sure sign of progress. Not how long you can sit without moving. Not how powerful the samadhi is when you look at pain, it just disappears. That's not inside. That's the power of samadhi. That's not inside. In fact, when you're able to do that, you have a sense of pride. I did it. It's very hard to be able to overcome pain. Instead of anatta, you're getting atta. You will see that if you're really making progress, you'll become a better person, you will have reduction of unwholesome states, and you have increase of wholesome states. And most importantly, there will be less suffering in your life, and more contentment, peace, and happiness.
maybe give you a pre-warning that if you are really very serious in your practice and it becomes second nature to you of watching your mind and cutting down on idle thoughts then you will find that you become more and more introverted you become less social because if you if you mix around with people who are not Dharma practitioners what they are going to talk about are all not connected to the Dharma if you apply the bar test you are not going to engage in the conversations you wouldn't want to join them for lunch or for dinner or go for a party because they all three of these things which are contrary to the bar test but of course if you are working in the corporate world you have entertainment you need to socialize with people and so forth so this is part and parcel of suffering in life you have to work it out yourself see what is the payoff how much suffering are you willing to bear with in order to attain the pleasure you can get out of your salary out of your status there's something that each one of you will have to decide for yourself if this introspective mindfulness becomes second nature to you very very naturally you will reduce on your desires because you really know that desire is a cause of suffering. Desire means not only just for material things, it's also got to do with ideas, beliefs, assumptions, expectations. If you cling on to them, then this also will give you a lot of suffering. I'm not saying that you can live without expectations, completely without expectations, and that is impossible. You will need to have expectations because you need to plan to do things. You expect that things are going to go the way you plan. Or else what's the point of planning? For example, I have to plan to come here to conduct a retreat. But I always say, when somebody asks me to conduct a retreat, I say, yes, subject to causes and conditions. I don't know what's going to happen. I might fall sick, I might die, I might get in an accident or something. Who knows? We never know. We have expectations, but don't cling on to them unrealistically. For example, somebody whom you are living with for many years, someone who is close to you, and they have some bad habits, forgetting to switch off the light, forgetting to turn off the tap. They have been reminding them for umpteen years and they are still doing it. Oh, your children, some of them are very untidy, some of them are very neat and tidy. They have different personalities because of their different karmic imprints from the past. You need to accept them. If you really want to change them, and you think that it's really good for them to change, then if you have really got compassion and loving kindness, then you must have patience. If you want to change somebody, it's not easy. Even to change yourself is so difficult. How about changing others? If you really want to change somebody, then you have to have patience. And make sure that... When you want to change somebody, you put it to the bar test and do bet and tip me. As I said, because you cut down on your desires, then you become more essentialistic. You will get only essential things. You won't get things you don't really need. Sometimes it might be alarming for your spouse. Uh, for example, 
if you cut down on shopping, you don't want to go on tours anymore, and then you don't put on cosmetics anymore, you become more and more introverted, then your husband will say, hey, what's wrong with you? Better don't go to the temple again. <laughs> I'm afraid that you may renounce and then leave the children to him. These things are going to happen. I mean, if you are really serious in your practice, it's going to be a natural progression. This is a marker of progress. But then, if you are still a lay person and you have lay obligations, then you have to fulfill the obligations. You have to fulfill the obligations first, and you do so with mindfulness and clear awareness, also with metta and compassion. I hope that all of you will bear this in mind when you go back home and try to apply as much as you have learned here in your daily life. Okay? <laughs>